Hello Husky fans, this is Max Cerullo and you are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into some of the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, kind of continuing with a the theme, we're actually going to look ahead at, uh, well, um, we'll just say the, the rivalry is back on. Uh, UConn is rejoining the Big East and that means that we are going to see a lot of some of the uh, old Big East rivals that the uh, UConn basketball used to play all the time. And uh, joining me today is Aiden Curran, who is uh, a big Georgetown guy. And we are going to talk about the UConn-Georgetown rivalry, uh, where it's been and uh, where it's going. So first of all, uh, Aiden, how's it going? Thanks so much for coming on. It's going well. Thanks for having me, Mac. Uh, excited to talk some some Huskies and Hoyas today and, and begin uh, reliving this rivalry all over again. Absolutely. So just uh, for everybody uh, who may not know, uh, Aiden Curran uh, covers the New England Patriots with uh, with me. Uh, Aiden, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you, you write for uh, Pat's Pulpit. And uh, actually, why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell me, I guess, tell everybody sort of <laughs> your whole background and sort of, uh, you know, what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, cover the Patriots for Boston.com uh, and Pat's Pulpit of SB Nation. Uh, I also write for 24-7 Sports, uh, covering Georgetown Hoyas. Um, graduated Georgetown in, in 2018, and I've been have been covering them since my freshman year. Um, so basically just love the Hoyas and love my coverage of uh, the Patriots and enjoy doing both. So, uh, you know, it seems like we have a nice overlap here. Um, between our, our Big East uh, passions and our coverage of the Patriots. So uh should be an interesting discussion today. Yeah, no, I, I reached out to you after uh, recently I saw that there, Georgetown had a couple of uh, notable recruiting wins and uh, you uh, were pretty, you were all over those. So I guess, yeah, maybe just a good place to start. You know, Georgetown, obviously UConn fans are really familiar with Georgetown, but maybe not so much recently. And uh, I guess if, if you've been you know, kind of involved at Georgetown since 2014. That kind of is a, well, pretty much meshes perfectly with the amount of time that uh, UConn fans maybe haven't been paying as close attention. So uh, yeah. what is the current state of the Georgetown basketball program uh, as it stands, in, you know, right now, fall of 2020? Yeah, so it, it's, it's definitely an interesting state. You know, if, if you had asked me this question one year ago, I would have been a, a really confident Georgetown fan. I probably would have been a little bit cocky, you know, heading into last year. We had... James Akinjo, the Big East Freshman of the Year point guard. We had Mac McClung at shooting guard. Um, you know, he was the the recruit who got a lot of a lot of hype and fame for his his high flying dunks. We had them. We had Josh LeBlanc, uh, power forward. You know, it, it was really looking up yeah, heading into Patrick Ewing's third year as head coach, um, and, and then it all just went up in flames uh, midway through the season. You know, for for a variety of reasons. Um, Georgetown had a total of five players transfer out this past year. Um, Akinjo transferred out at the same time um, when he transferred out Joshua Blanc, uh, as well as two other Georgetown players, Galen Alexander and Myron Gardner. Um, they were uh, accused of uh, sexual harassment and uh, assault and battery uh, by two Georgetown students. And so they uh, left the program um, amidst you know a lot of drama and, and, and a lot of uh, there's there was a flurry of accusations, and it just it wasn't a great look for Georgetown uh, having all those players leave at, at all, all at the same time, basically. Um, and then, you know, when you leave, when you lose four players like that, your your depth is just going to take a massive hit, no matter who you are as a team. And so, Georgetown losing its starting point guard, starting point guard is bad enough. Losing LeBlanc, who was their defensive anchor, was a huge issue for a team who you know even with Patrick Ewing as, as head coach, hasn't really gotten down 
um, the defensive side of things yet. They haven't really been. You would think with Patrick Ewing as head coach, they'd be a, a defensive-minded team. That just hasn't been the case yet. So that was a huge issue for them in, in the 2019-2020 season. Um, Mac McClung down with a, a foot injury, tore his uh, plantar fascia. Um, towards the end of the season, they tried to bring him back um, with a tear in his foot, and he couldn't do it. And so we lost McClung, and then he transferred at the end of the season um, for a, a multitude of reasons. So Georgetown has lost a lot of talent this past year. It's been, um, it hasn't been a good year for Patrick Ewing. You know, he, he did a good job recruiting in his first few seasons. Um, there was reason for optimism within the program. And now you lose five players and, and three real cornerstones of, of what was going to be uh, the program in, in Patrick Ewing's early years. So Georgetown basketball for this upcoming season has got to be more in a rebuilding mode. You know, um, we have three transfers coming in, Jalen Harris from Arkansas, Don Carey from Siena, and uh, Chudier Belay from Northwestern State. Um, you know, the hope is that they'll be there to kind of steady the ship with what's going to be a really young Georgetown team. Um, you know, you have seven players total coming in, um, five freshmen. There's going to be a lot of turnover. And, and with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it's it's been really difficult for these teams to, to get in the gym, and especially for a team like Georgetown with so many new faces. You know, you need as much time as you can get. So it's going to be a rebuilding season for Georgetown. Um, you know, expectations aren't too high. Uh, but, you know, there is still hope for Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, the, the class of 2021 for for him, recruiting-wise, is already ranked 14th in the nation. Um, and, you know, he's already kind of gotten back to uh, rebuilding that talent foundation. Um, so there's optimism, but, you know, there there's uh, cause for concern, at least for this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine. So what you just described sounds a lot like what UConn experienced kind of towards the tail end of Kevin Ollie's tenure. There was a season, uh, it was kind of roughly from like 2016 to, through 2017, the program lost a whole bunch of uh, players too. And that was sort of really kind of the impetus for the program's uh, kind of losing record over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, obviously the nice thing about being in the Big East is that things can flip fast. And, um, you know, it wasn't long before UConn got to the Big East that, you know, their fortunes turned. So I can't imagine, you know, with a brand like Georgetown, you guys aren't going to be down for long, especially with the recruits you guys have coming in. So as far as the team you have this year, uh, who is the guy that UConn fans need to know about? Uh, kind of the your, Who would you anticipate being the best player on the team? Yeah, so the main issue for Georgetown this season is they, they don't really have they don't really have the guy. They don't really have the score. Mac McClung was that for them last year, um, and before that, you know, when it, when it was Akinjo and McClung, you had two kind of creators on the team. This year, there isn't really that guy who can you know rely on in those crunch time situations. The hope is that Jamarco Pickett, who's a swing for the Hoyas, will become that guy. He's a six eight wing just brimming with potential, long arms, long legs, can, can shoot it, can drive it, can defend. But the, the biggest issue with him is consistency throughout his whole career. Um, he just hasn't really been able to put it all together all at the same time. And so heading into his senior year, you worry that, you know, three years of that, the fourth season is probably going to be the same thing. But, you know, from speaking to some of his teammates, hearing from some of the people associated with the program, that there's, there's reason for optimism with Pickett. That he's starting to figure it out and starting to click for him. Um, the hope is that you know he has a, a big final season similar to what Otto Porter had uh, in his final season with Georgetown. I would say he's the, the biggest guy to watch for the Hoyas. Um, alongside him, uh, there's also senior guard Javon Blair, 
uh, who was one of the players from last year that essentially had to play 40 minutes a game for the back half of the Big East schedule because Georgetown just didn't have the bodies. Uh, Blair is a sharpshooter, doesn't really have the prettiest shot, um, shot 33% from three last year. He's, he's an inefficient scorer, high-volume scorer. Uh, he's someone who the Hoyas are going to need to, you know, even if it is 33% from three, they're going to need to put the ball in the hoop in some fashion. Um, and in addition to Blair, you have uh, Kudus Wahab, who's the defensive anchor for this team. He's a 6'11 center heading into his sophomore season, uh, just brimming with potential. You know, big frame, long arms, you know, really a similar player to what Patrick Ewing was. Uh, not saying he's going to be exactly the same as Ewing in terms of production, but the same kind of body, same type of game. Um, there's a lot of hope that he can really um, solidify that defense and help it settle down um, heading into next year. So those are the three players I would say um, UConn fans should get to know the most uh, heading into 2020. Nice. Good stuff. So let's kind of look back a bit. So we kind of mentioned at the top, your your tenure at Georgetown kind of neatly covers the period of time that UConn has been off the off the radar. So what exactly has Georgetown's journey been these past seven years uh, since you got to Georgetown, since UConn left the conference, since the new Big East kind of formed? What's uh, How have things been going for you guys so far? Yeah, you know, it's 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 been a struggle essentially since the the 07 uh, Final Four appearance for Georgetown. It, it, it kind of feels like they, they sold their soul to the devil. Um, you know, since since UConn left the Big East, Georgetown's only been to the NCAA tournament uh, two seasons. Uh, one uh, was in 2013 uh, when they lost to the Florida Gulf Coast, uh, of course. And I'm sure everyone knows about that. I'm sure UConn fans take take great joy in watching that. And then the other tournament appearance was uh, 2015, which was when I was a freshman at Georgetown. Um, that was they initially played Eastern Washington and then lost to uh, Utah in the uh, third round. So they haven't been back to the tournament since then. So um, John Thompson III obviously was was fired in um, 2017. Um, and Patrick was brought in. You know, there, there's um, obviously, you know, John Thompson Jr., who, who recently passed away. He, he had his, his influence was all over the program. It, it was felt from top to bottom. Um, you know, there were some uh, that wanted to kind of get away from his influence um, when we were looking for a replacement for John Thompson III. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen uh, with, with Thompson Jr. Uh, personally recommending Ewing for the position. Um, so, you know, some people are fans of that. Some people aren't fans of that. Um, but now, uh, with, with big coach gone, unfortunately, um, it's really Patrick Ewing's program now. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what changes and what remains the same. Um, you know, Georgetown was all about the Thompsons. Um, you know, to, to his dying days, John Thompson Jr. Um, still, you know, had, had a say in the program's operations um, and, you know, was a big voice um, for Patrick Ewing uh, as he really made the, the jump from the NBA to college coaching. Um, so it's been tough, you know, there hasn't been too much success for the Hoyas in the postseason, and, and when they've made the postseason, you know, there have been embarrassing defeats, you know, I mentioned uh, losing to Dunk City at FGCU, and you had the Ohio loss in second round in 2009, um, and that, and under Ewing, in his first three seasons, you know, things were looking up, uh, in the second season, the team finished 19-14, and 14, uh, but then obviously this season taking a step back and finishing 15-17, and 17, uh, including going five and thirteen in the Big East and, and losing their, their final six um, conference matchups. Um, so you know it's been it's been tough sledding. Um, obviously, you know when you fire a coach and you, you start all over again, there's there's going to be a period of rebuilding. 
Um, unfortunately, that period has been extended because of who Georgetown lost last season. Um, but, you know, the hope is that, that Ewing um, can rebuild that talent. Um, one of the pleasant surprises of, of Patrick Ewing as a college coach has been the recruiting. Um, you know, people wondered, you know, coming into Georgetown as a head coach at 56, 57 years old, um, how motivated he would be to recruit. You know, that was kind of an issue with John Thompson III at the end of his tenure in Georgetown. Um, but Ewing's really, you know, proved the detractors and the critics wrong. You know, he's really done a great job of getting out on the road and recruiting hard. Um, and I think that's going to be, you know, one of the one of the fun subplots of this of this season and moving forward is the recruiting battles uh, that are going to be coming up between, you know, UConn, Georgetown, Villanova. Um, you know, I, I know for not sure how much you follow recruiting, but uh, Donovan Klingen is a center in the class of 2022. Uh, he's from East Bristol uh, or Bristol Central High School in uh, Connecticut, and that's a player that Georgetown's going after hard and who UConn's going after hard too. So I think it's going to be a fun little classic Big East recruiting battle um, for fans from both sides to watch for uh, the next year or so. Yeah, Klingon uh, is definitely a guy who most UConn you know, recruiting people have been keeping a close eye on. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that is something that I think a lot of UConn basketball fans are really excited about. You know, the idea of like a Big East recruiting battle is just not something that UConn fans have had recently. Because A, yeah. when UConn was in the AAC... We, all, the school was losing all these great recruits to the, frankly, programs that, you know, UConn never lost those battles to. It's it's probably not a coincidence that, you know, UConn's dip kind of coincided with Providence and Seton Hall all of a sudden kind of enjoying their best runs of success in recent memory. You know, and then obviously Villanova, you know, certainly benefited from that as well. Georgetown, well, I mean, <laughs> to, to the extent recruiting-wise, they certainly st- still benefited, even if I suppose the results on the f- court maybe weren't what you guys wanted. But, you know, UConn for a while, not only were we losing, losing these battles, but within the AAC, like, we didn't care who Houston was bringing in. Like, we didn't care who, you know, South Florida and, you know, Tulane were bringing in, and which made it even more aggravating when every once in a while you get this guy like Semi Ojale or some really good player popping up, and you're like, "Who the heck is this guy?" Like, it's you know, it's more fun when you kind of get them on the ground floor. I'll mention a guy who we could talk about, Jordan Riley. Uh, I believe a Georgetown recruit was somebody who was uh, kind of on UConn's radar too, and I don't really know exactly the you know, the timeline or the extent of it, but it wasn't, I think Riley, you guys got Riley. And then like a week later, uh, UConn poached Rasul Diggins out of Philly. So it kind of seemed like both programs got the guy they wanted, but you know, Jordan Riley is a person that UConn fans will be like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I remember that guy. Let's kick his ass. (laughs) You know, it'll be, absolutely, it'll be fun. So let's, uh, you know, we were on the subject of Patrick Ewing. Um, he's obviously a guy, all UConn fans know who Patrick Ewing is. How, what's sort of the vibe around the program with him right now? Do Georgetown fans still believe in Patrick Ewing or is it kind of uh, not, you know, is there some uncertainty there? Yeah, you know, just just like any, you know, spirited fan base, there's always going to be, you know, varying opinions. Um, I would say the general consensus uh, among the the level-headed Georgetown fans is that, you know, especially after what just happened this year, I mean, Ewing definitely has one of the longest leases of uh, any coach in the country, really. Um, you know, being the legend that he is, he, he was given a six-year contract, um, and especially in, in terms of what's going on through the pandemic and how it's affecting schools' finances. You know, Georgetown's never going to fire him 
Um, they're never going to pay a buyout for him. So he's going nowhere. And frankly, you know, he deserves having that long leash. I mean, he, you know, what happened last year, you, you can say it was a lack of oversight in his part with the players that were ran into discipline issues. Um, but, you know, he, he's already back on the recruiting trail. He's already building the program back up. Um, I, I would say, if anything, the, the part that Patrick Ewing has to focus on improving um, the part of his coaching is more of the in-game aspect, more of the X's and O's. Um, one of the most frustrating things being a Georgetown fan so far with Patrick Ewing as head coach is his substitution patterns are um, a, a little bit confusing at times. Um, you know, he'll, he'll sometimes substitute three or four guys in at the same time. His patterns are, are more suited for an NBA team rather than a college team. And at times didn't make sense. And, and when the team last year lost the talent that it did and, and was down to basically running a, a rotation of six players, he didn't really have a choice to, in terms of who to substitute. But, uh, you know, his late game decision making and things like that is what he needs to improve, I think, the most. And, you know, I think he will improve in that. You know, this is an NBA Hall of Famer, a legendary college player. Um, you know, there's going to be a transition period when you're making the jump from the NBA to college because, you know, they're both basketball, but they're, they're very different games. Uh, and I think Patrick Ewing is learning. I think he's improving. So I think the fan base overall is happy with him. Um, I think everyone is a little impatient, um, you know, ready for Georgetown to get back into the upper echelon of the Big East, um, but also understanding some of the things that happened are out of Patrick Ewing's control and, and the things he has done, the things he, that he can't control. Um, have gone well. So he's not going anywhere. Um, Lee Reed, the Georgetown athletic director, has already publicly uh, stated his support for him um, in the in the past few months. Um, so, you know, generally happy with him. He's still improving um, and, you know, expecting big things in the next few years, definitely. Nice. Good stuff. Well, you know, let's, uh, you know, kind of looking a little bit further ahead now. Um, so UConn, will, you know, we're at this point at a point where we can pretty much assume that there will be a college basketball season because, you know, they've pretty much stated their intentions, hell or high water, they're going to try to make it work. And that's uh, yeah. that's something that we've, you know, UConn fans have been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, you know, getting the chance to conference realignment has been a, a major point of contention among UConn's fan base basically ever. I mean, pretty much for this whole past decade, if we're being honest. So, um, as far as Georgetown's fan base goes, what was the reaction like in the you know Hoya circles when word broke that UConn was coming back? Oh, I mean, everyone's excited about it. Like it, the new Big East just hasn't been the same. You know, it, it's been decent, but it just hasn't been. I mean, when you lose two rivals, two you know arch rivals, I would say in Syracuse and UConn, and you have you know Pitt and West Virginia to a lesser extent. It's just not the same. I mean, there are some heated battles between all those teams in Georgetown. Um, and having UConn back, you know, UConn is still a, a blue blood program. And, you know, obviously that, that took a hit with their move to the AAC. Um, I think they certainly learned their lesson from that. But, uh, you know, it, it's great news for the Big East. helps raise the profile of the conference. Um, and it's just going to lead to some, some more fun games, more fun competitive games on the schedule for fans to watch. Um, you know, I know the... The last time that Georgetown played UConn, I think UConn uh, came to D.C. and it was a close 72-69 win for the Hoyas. And Obviously, the last Big East game the two teams played in 2013 came down to the wire in double OT. Uh, that was an instant classic. So, I mean, I think you're going to see games like that um, once again when UConn comes. So, you know, not going to say that everyone loves UConn as, the, as a school and 
Um, you know, they're obviously the two schools are rivals, but overall it's a great thing for the conference and it's just going to be fun to watch those two teams go at it again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's my duty as a, a UConn honk to just point out that uh, UConn, it wasn't exactly UConn's choice to go to the AAC. It was more of like, <laughs> you got, it was more, it would be more accurate to say that everybody else kind of picked up and left and sort of hand, like left UConn hanging, holding onto the bag. But you know, whatever. It's ancient history at this point. Um, yeah. So you, you brought up a couple of uh, the more recent games. So, you know, I know that you, so actually I'll ask you this first. Are you a Georgetown lifer or did you, were you like me where you can't kind of came to the, the, your fandom as a college student? Yeah, I came to the, I came as a college student. Um, you know, I growing up, Roy Hibbert was my favorite player. And so I, I watched some old, um, Georgetown games growing up just because of him. Uh, that's basically how this, the school got on my radar, but uh, didn't really become you know a diehard until um, you know, obviously started out in Georgetown in 2014. Okay, so kind of the same with me, except uh, you know I'm just a little older, so my history goes back a little bit further. Um, so either way, yeah. So I mean, U- UConn and Georgetown have played a handful of times since they would have likely been on your radar, and obviously you're familiar with some of the great kind of the classics from way back in the day. So um, and you know, what are what are some of your favorite memories involving the rivalry? Anything in particular stand out? Yeah. So I mean, basically for me, it's it's those two games I mentioned. Uh, you know, the the game in 2017, I was there for. Um, I was covering the game, and that was just a great game. Um, you know, you had Jalen Adams for uh, UConn missing a three with four seconds left. Um, <laughs> the Hoyas really tried to choke that game away. Um, but I remember, you know, the, the Jacob Mosley alley-oop to Rodney Pride in, in 2017 was one of the one of the coolest basketball plays I think I've ever seen. Um, and that was just an electric game. And then uh, Georgetown and UConn, you know, didn't get to watch it live. But, um, you know, covering Georgetown, I've, I've definitely familiarized myself with several of their um, old Big East battles, and that was definitely one that stood out. Um, you know, being with that being UConn's last year in the Big East, and that was really—I mean, correct me if I'm wrong—that was a huge game for for UConn because they they had the postseason ban that year, so you know they were trying to really like go all because they didn't have much else to play for, um, and, and that was kind of fun from a Georgetown perspective. You know, kind of being a party pooper and, and, and ruining the uh, the end of the season for the Huskies. Um, and, you know, I mean, just seeing some of the players that were in that game, you know, Otto Porter scoring the, the game-winning basket in double OT, um, him and, and Devontae Smith-Rivera, uh, who I believe was either was a freshman at the time, freshman or sophomore, um, just seeing some of those Hoya greats, you know, balling out like that, it, it makes you yearn for the old days uh, as a Georgetown fan, you know, when you had competitive games like that, when, when the Hoyas were the eighth-ranked team in the nation. You know, that's just, those days have been long gone right now, and everyone's, you know, desperate for those to return. Um, so, I mean, when I think about those games, I, I just think about the hard and hustle that was really showed by both teams and just the competitive spirit and uh, really looking forward to that returning, uh, Huskies return to the Big East. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, UConn and Georgetown, they they played, uh, they have played twice since UConn's been in the AAC, the two games you just mentioned. Uh, they split a home-and-home. Home. Uh, UConn won in 2016. You guys, uh, Georgetown won in 2017. But that 2013 game, oh my God. I That was one of the craziest games I've ever seen. It was like... So I was a year out of college, so I'm like living in my apartment. Like I'm, you know, still very much into the, you know, UConn basketball is like, like the thing at this point for me still, because obviously they hadn't quite gone through the struggles. And, you know, I'm like a year away from, you know, a year off of being like the super fan at the, in you know, in the, well, I was working for the paper, so I was keeping it to myself, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, that game was, 
I cannot believe they lost that game. Like I, I rewatched the the last like you know we'll say the last like five minutes of regulation through the double overtime and. So this this podcast is generally speaking we focus on particular games and this is absolutely a game that we would focus a full episode on if not for the fact that Georgetown really kind of ruined <laughs> they ruined everything in the last minute. So um just so f- fans just to kind of jog fans memory I'm just going to kind of run down sort of what happens um just yeah. because this is it's it's preposterous. So with about four and a half minutes left Georgetown is ahead by 12. Uh they're up 60 to 48. And UConn goes on a nine to nothing run down the stretch and they cut the lead to three. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a turnover, basically like, like, a, you know, like a, almost a backcourt violation that uh, Georgetown just gets the ball and just sort of runs it in and scores five point game. And that's like the kind of play where like, okay, well that's, that sucked. Now, George, now UConn's definitely going to lose. Um, and then somehow, <laughs> you know, George, you know, Georgetown, uh, UConn on their next play down, they draw a foul. Boatwright gets a, misses the front end, Ryan Boatwright misses the front end of a one and one. So now it's like, now they're really in trouble. And then your guy Lubick, who I can't believe looks so much like Mark Zuckerberg. Do you ever, have you ever noticed how much that guy looks like that dude? Yeah, it's uncanny. Um, you know, that, that's comparison that's been made before. By many, so you're not alone in, in thinking that. Okay, I'm glad that's a thing because I saw, I like, I saw the like they showed a close up to him. He fouls out at the, some point in this game, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, he commits a foul, um, and Yukon gets the ball back. Uh, you know, Yukon uh, scores on a, Omar Calhoun gets a, a putback two, and then Yukon uh, fouls with eight seconds left. Starks, your boy, misses the front end of a one-on-one-on-one, and, one and, one, and then yeah, UConn in transition nails uh, Omar Calhoun nails a three to tie the game. And I remember I'm in my apartment just watching this go down, and I lose my mind. Like I just yeah, my that, neighbor's... that shot was so clutch. I mean, off balance, like not like just so rushed, and he just drains it. Like that was just that was crazy. Yeah, Omar Calhoun like didn't really actually do very. He was a freshman that year, and he didn't really ever accomplish a whole lot else with UConn. But he was nails in this game for sure. And then what I forgot about, and I don't know if you'd remember this either, UConn actually got a shot at winning the game right after too. You know, George, yeah. Georgetown gets the inbound. And then Niels Giffey steals it and puts up a buzzer beater, and he, had, he totally airballs it. But like for a split second, I'm like, "Oh my god!" I I, I completely forgot about that too. Um, so yeah, then you know, overtime. The first overtime was you know pretty. It was pretty good. Uh, you know, Georgetown takes the lead early. They kind of go back and forth. Uh, you know, Shabazz hits a three to put UConn ahead. You know, Port, Otto Porter answers, and then at, you know both teams kind of don't really score again after that. And then, yeah, double overtime. UConn pulls ahead by seven points. They're up 78 to 71 with two minutes left. And I was thinking, like, I f- can't believe they lost this game, like, rewatching it. Yeah, and then Georgetown ends the game on a, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, an 8 nothing run. Porter gets the runner, to, you know, with, like, nine seconds left. And then Boatwright misses a three at the buzzer. And now, and then I was like, you know, after that happened, I was just like, man. <laughs> <laughs> That was well, I mean, t- the crazy thing about the crazy thing about that play. I, I was I was uh, running that tape back and uh, on the final play with with Bo Wright when when he missed that three, he had I, I don't know the player's name, but he had number five like right underneath the basket who had his hands up like ready for the ball and been an easy score. But because like Georgetown had essentially a wall of three players around Bo Wright, he, he couldn't see him. So then he just had to huck up a a desperation three and, and missed it. But I mean, clutch play. I mean, the big one of the biggest things for Georgetown fans, you know. If I had one word to describe being a Georgetown fan since 2014, it would, it would be pain. 
um, pain in so many ways, and one of those ways is clutch play. Georgetown and, and clutchness, since I've been a fan, is, is just, it's not a thing. And so seeing this game in 2013 with, uh, you have Otto Porter hitting a three, you have Devontae Smith-Rivera hitting a three, and then stealing the ball the next and down, and then getting it to Porter to score double overtime. Like, plays like that are just like, they leave me dumbfounded, because that's just not, like, what I've witnessed as a Georgetown basketball fan. So that game was just crazy. I hope I get finishes like that again the next couple seasons. Um, Cause I mean, that, I mean, that was just crazy. Yeah. You know, actually I'm glad you brought up that, uh, you know, Boatwright missing, uh, I think number five, that would have been Niels uh, Giffey under the basket. There was a similar play in the end of the first overtime too. I mean, Deandre Daniels was totally wide open. He could have easily put, yeah. dunked it for the win. And that would have been that. Yeah. That's now, you know, it was, it was definitely, you know, and the thing to also remember too, you know, Georgetown, I think they were ranked in the top 10. I, I think actually, I think they were ranked number seven in the country, at least according to the whatever poll yeah, ESPN uses. Yeah. And, you know, UConn at that point was uh, unranked, but like, I think their record, they, they were like 19 and uh, seven going into the game or I think something like that. And, um, you know, they were good. And, uh, you know, this whole season had been kind of just one exercise in frustration because you have the postseason ban, you know, the conference is breaking up and it's kind of just like, man, like everything is kind of, UConn is getting screwed over in so many different ways. So losing that game was really tough because that would have been one example of just UConn being able to kind of throw up the middle finger to everybody and be like, yo, like this is, you know, this is what we think of all of you. And to be fair, UConn did kind of get that moment uh, against Providence uh, in the last game of the season. They beat him in overtime and obviously we all know what happened in 2014. So, you know, UConn got its revenge, but then the bill kind of came due. It's funny that you kind of mentioned how, you know, Georgetown's experience has been painful because it does seem like the two programs have weirdly followed parallel tracks, except, you know, UConn had to kind of get forced into the wilderness while Georgetown has sort of at least got to continue living in a nice neighborhood, except kind of their, their best friends moved out. So, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, just kind of to kind of, start to bring this thing around what are your thoughts uh long term what are like how now yukon's back georgetown for now is not looking great but they're you know presume there's you know building blocks for them to get back you know what are, what are your thoughts on just uh, the overall future of kind of where the big east and you know you know our our respective programs are heading yeah, I mean, I think the the future of the Big East is bright. I mean, I think just getting UConn back is a major shot in the arm. Um, you know, you have Villanova this year. I mean, obviously they they've been at the top for for several years now, but they're going to be coming in as the you know number two team in the nation, and they're going to obviously be the number one team in the Big East by a long stretch. But you got Villanova. You have Seton Hall, who has really become a program that's that's done some good things. You know, obviously they lose Miles Powell this year, but they've really become one of the better programs in the country. Um, you know, you have Marquette, who, you know, could be something special this year with DJ Carden coming into replace Marcus Howard. Um, there's still a lot of talent in the Big East, I think, when you get UConn back. You know, you get another blue blood back in any conference in the country. That conference is going to become stronger. So um, I think, you know, the Big East will always get dinged for just being a basketball-only conference. Um, and I think one of the next steps for this conference is to have more postseason success you know you have Villanova as the team kind of carrying the the bulk of the load right now in terms of postseason success um, but you know you need teams like Providence, Seymour, you need Georgetown to re-answer their picture and I'm sure I would I, th- I think that UConn's going to be a tournament team um, this season you know hopefully assuming that there is an NCAA tournament 2020-2021 but uh, you know I think there are good things on the way and I think uh, you're going to see 
Um, obviously, you know, we discussed the recruiting battles earlier, but you're going to see some high-profile recruiting battles. Um, you know, Dan Hurley uh, is going after some big dogs. Patrick Ewing is as well. Um, and, you know, I think you're definitely going to see them strike gold. Um, I think it's just going to raise the profile of the conference and the talent level too. So I'm feeling optimistic. Um, you know, I think this is a, a win-win in UConn coming back into the program and, uh, you know, couldn't be more excited to get things rolling. Absolutely. So uh, before I let you go, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the one subject that certainly all UConn and Syracuse, uh, excuse me, all UConn and Georgetown fans can agree on, and that's that uh, you know kind of a mutual animosity towards Syracuse. So just uh, you know, Absolutely. give let let I'm gonna cede the floor to you and give me a good uh, minute or two on your thoughts on Syracuse and kind of where the Georgetown Syracuse rivalry is and you know, all that you know kind of that whole that whole deal. Yeah, you know. Coming into Georgetown as a freshman, it's it's just kind of bred in you. It's just this disdain and this hatred for Syracuse. You know, it, it starts when you just look at the record of the program, how many NCAA violations they've had, how many players they've had arrested or, or fined or just runs disciplinary issues. You know, Jim Beheim, uh, I mean, obviously a coaching legend and, and, you know, can't really knock his record, uh, his ability as a coach, but just an obnoxious human being. Uh, the, the arrogant nature, the arrogant air that he brings about himself uh, is just, it's suffocating. And uh, I, I realized that pretty early on. You know, luckily, I've been able to cover some Syracuse Georgetown games because they've been able to um, keep those games in the schedule, even with Syracuse gone. But, but just a disgusting North. And I, I just get a kick out of how many schools there are in the Northeast and in the Mid Atlantic that consider Syracuse to be their arch rival you know I think that if you ask Syracuse they'd probably tell you that Georgetown is their their most hated arch rival but you have Georgetown you have UConn you have BC all schools that you know consider Syracuse to be if not their top arch rival then like one of their most hated team most hated teams to go up against and I just think that speaks to uh you know who Syracuse is as a school some of the players they've had in their team um and, you know, it's it's just a fun team to hate. Jim Beheim is just a fun coach to hate. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of the players he's had uh, lend themselves to being hated pretty easily. And now you got Buddy Beheim uh, on the Syracuse roster, uh, which adds a little uh, another element uh, to the rivalry. So, um, yeah, it's it's nice that we have that that bonding, uh, that bonding connection between Georgetown and UConn. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we can uh, root each other on when the other school is playing Syracuse. Uh, I mean, I don't, is, is UConn, do they have any games scheduled with Syracuse in the near future? Or is that, is that still a dormant rivalry right now? Um, UConn has been playing Syracuse semi-regularly, but it hasn't been an annual thing. And to be honest, I couldn't tell you what the future plan is because I don't think anybody really does. Um, but yeah, um, no, but you know, I think for sure, I think everything you just said, you know, pretty much all most UConn fans would agree with uh, the vast majority of it. So, yeah, always good to have some common ground, considering that uh, our fan bases are probably going to be at each other's throats um, within a couple of months for sure. So, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, no, as, it should, as it should as it should be, on, uh, especially on Twitter. Yeah, as it should be. Believe me, UConn fans have certainly learned to appreciate a good rival because our. Uh, our biggest the last like seven years it's basically been cincinnati and like the weird like aac trolls who like they're it's it's so bad like (laughs) you you can't even you can't talk to them because uh who can forget the the long storied rivalry between uh yukon football and uh 
and UCF, the uh, the conflict trophy. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of battles there, at least in the football field, and, and maybe in basketball too. You know what the the ironic thing is that UConn actually did beat them a couple of times. Even you know, it's whatever. It's let's that we, we can put that to the side and focus on the more important things like. Well, you know, UConn. You know what? I'm gonna. We're 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 friends right now, so I won't talk too much smack. But you know, you said it yourself. Georgetown's looking at a down year, so it'll it'll be a fun. Was, hey, no, I mean UConn's gonna be. I'm high on UConn. Um, you know, I think they're gonna be a talented team, and um, I, yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be a tough year for Georgetown. But uh, you know, we'll we'll be back soon enough. The the 2022 recruiting class is shaping up to be a good one already, and I think we'll be at each other's necks. Uh, pretty pretty. Uh, neck and neck uh, in the next couple of years. So we'll, we'll give you this year, but we'll be, we'll be back soon enough. Absolutely. Well, you guys got Matumbo's kids, so that'll be fun if nothing else. Um, awesome. Definitely. Aiden, thanks so much for coming on. This is great. So, uh, yeah, if just, uh, you sure, you know, any, anything you'd like to plug, you know, where people can find you on social media, you know, all, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. Where, where can people find you? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at Aiden Curran underscore. Uh, you can follow our Georgetown page at, at Hoyas247. Um, same thing on Instagram for uh, Hoyas247, just at Hoyas247. And uh, you know, I'll be reporting on Georgetown news. And uh, yeah, should be should be pretty fun. So hope to engage with, with you and other UConn fans uh, this season and, and looking forward to the return of this rivalry finally. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm sure I'll be seeing you on the Bill Belichick's WebEx conferences, assuming <laughs> assuming COVID doesn't the shut them down for any longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a big if, but uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, uh, for all of you guys out there, thanks so much for listening. You guys know the drill. You can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo. That's M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are open. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we, you can also email me at podcast at gmail.com and um yeah you know well uh looking to try to get back to a semi-regular uh weekly uh thing obviously i've kind of been doing every two weeks uh, recently just because of how busy it's gotten but uh the season's coming up and there's uh you know some reason you know a lot of a lot of stuff to catch up on so we will be back hopefully next week but uh you know if not then shortly after and uh you guys all have a good one and uh see you all later <laughs>